You're listening to the Necromaniacs Podcast. Hello, everyone. It's that time of the week again. Another episode of Necromaniacs Podcast. This week, it's me and Jeff. And we're going to be talking about What's up? Lake Mungo, a movie that um, is actually quite good. But before we get into that, I uh, want to give it a little read for our promotional partners, Generation Records. Generation Records, open since 1992, it specializes in punk, hardcore metal, rock, and soundtracks. You can get records, CDs, tapes, shirts and posters used and new records they pay top dollar for quality used records check them out at generationrecords.com and if you're in new york city go to 210 thompson street and stop by there you go that's a great shop right on awesome yeah when we're allowed to travel again uh new york is definitely on the list of places to go and i'm definitely going to hit that place up hell yeah before we get into this, I got a couple of text messages from you uh, over the last week or so uh, asking about uh, new movies and uh, your dismay that you haven't had anything to watch. So have you found anything to watch that you like uh, lately? Well, it's not that I haven't found anything to watch. I just haven't found anything that great. You know, every October, I try to do a horror movie a day and I try to mix it up with classics, favorites and new stuff, stuff I'm not too familiar with. And uh, a lot of what I've seen has been very middle of the road uh, to, to just flat out not good. Really? Like, uh, yeah, like I checked out Books of Blood on, on, on Hulu. I uh, was kind of familiar with Clive Barker's Books of Blood. I read a few of those stories on tour. And that was the first Clive Barker I ever read. And I was really surprised by how good the, the writing was. It was more stayed with me a lot like there's disturbing stuff and the movie is just this neutered really generic looking nothing of a movie like it feels like a tv show which i read later this was supposed to be an anthology tv show that they condensed into uh a movie like you know hour and a half movie and it doesn't it bear any really re- real resemblance to, to Clive Barker's stories. Now the books of blood, uh, I, I also read those. And um, so the, did the movie just take one story and sort of expand it or they try to cram it all in in 90 minutes? Yeah, I think it was like the, the story, the story of Simon. I remember, I don't think I read that one, but I remember reading about it, like how the person is the actual book of blood or oh. something like that. And that, that's like the main no, there's another story about a girl who's uh, kind of running away from something. She ends up in this small, creepy town. I don't think that was based on anything in the book. I think that was something they uh, invented for this, this movie. So they, they didn't really take much from Clyde Barker at, at all. And it's, it's sort of a baffling choice. I know that the series of books is popular. And uh, doing a, a creep show kind of thing for that could have been awesome and uh, huge missed opportunity. And on top of that, the movie's just not good. 
That sucks. The uh, back, um, I don't know, a while ago, they did a comic book series uh, adapting the Books of Blood, which I think uh, Epic Illust- Epic Comics might have did that, which was a Marvel imprint back like in the late 80s or early 90s or something. And I thought those were really good. I have a collected edition of that. That's a bummer. Yeah, but uh, a couple, like, I've seen a couple decent horror comedies. I think we talked a little bit about this one, uh, Scare Me. Yeah, no, that's on Shudder, right? Yeah, that was, uh, again, another sort of anthology uh, movie. I thought this one was a clever way to present that. Uh, people just telling each other stories instead of, and, and acting them out, I thought was, was pretty clever. But I mean, ultimately, I, I felt like this was, Little leaned a little bit more into like the comedy realm than horror. Yeah, I haven't seen that. I uh, I was something that I think was on my list of things to check out, but maybe I won't. <laughs> Based on your uh, quick review uh, of it. Yeah, uh, the Wolf of Snow Hollow. I checked that out. Uh-huh. Um, that one I really liked. Again, like this sort of indie feel to it you know this he's just the writer director star made one other movie called thunder road where he plays like kind of like a depressed cop and basically plays the same character in this movie but this one has like a killer on the loose and the killer might be a werewolf oh wow okay it's pretty cool it's very you know again it leans more towards comedy but uh i enjoyed this one really good now, is the comedy, uh, like, dark-humored in the way that, say, American Werewolf in London was dark-humored? Yeah, I would, I would say it kind of leans, leans that way to the more uh, dark humor, for sure. It's not, like, slapsticky. It's not like an Adam Sandler comedy or anything like that. I could dig that. But I, there, there was another horror comedy that came out a while ago called Wolf Cop. There's Wolf Cop 1 and 2, but the, very, the first Wolf Cop was actually really good. I thought it was... a uh, you know, pretty decent horror comedy kind of thing. Yeah, you mentioned that all the way back when we did our uh, top ten of the last decade. Yeah. And uh, um, what I liked about that is the story is actually really cool. And if you took out the comedy elements, you'd still have, like, a compelling horror story. And uh, that's that's what I think is the winning formula with doing comedies, like, in the horror genre. Yeah, like it, it's a tough line to balance. It's, it, you know, uh, a lot of times I don't think people pull off horror comedies uh, successfully. Actually, you just mentioned, I think, what probably what is the best one of all time and the American World in London. You know, I, I even hesitate to call that a comedy, man. I got to be honest, you know? Yeah. I mean, John Landis, you know, that that's his background. He does comedy and he brings this kind of like sense of humor to it. But yeah, you know, it, it, it's definitely more of a horror movie. There were things in that film that stuck with me in a way that, like, kind of disturbed me a little bit. I remember when I was a kid and I saw that movie, like, the dream sequence with those, uh, those like, fucking monsters came in and shot up the, the room. It was uh, so, so mm. like, just jarring when that happened. And uh, mm. I remember being a kid and that being kind of disturbing for me. Yeah, like, you know what really, like, stuck with me, too? How abruptly it ends. Yeah, the ending is very disquieting, definitely. Yeah, that always really, like, I, I found it, like, just chilling. Like, this guy you just spent the whole movie with, wow, he's dead. Roll credits. <laughs> uh, <I> was, <laughs> so that's um, what I mean. It's one like, last thing. I, it's, that's what I mean about it almost not being a comedy, you know? 
Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one last thing I'll mention that I saw, it was a, not a comedy, but it sure was funny. I watched The Butterfly Effect. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. From I, 2004. Yep. I, I, time travel is, is uh, I mean, I, I love anything about that. And I was like, how did I somehow miss this movie? And, you know, stars Ashton Kutcher and Amy Smart, who are like, I guess, you know, you're trying to push those actors on us back in 2004 as being like the next generation of, of, of actors you're going to see and everything. And thank God that never became a thing. Uh, I'll just say that it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Yeah, I saw it too, man. It was bad. Really, really bad. I think that's when I texted you and I was like, man, I can't find anything fucking good to watch. <laughs> and you watched that? Damn, that was like the fucking dregs, man. <laughs> Well, it was on my front page of uh, of my Amazon. And I was like, oh, I'm like, how bad can this really be? And then, oh, boy, that's two hours I won't get back. You know, it's funny. Uh, and, Ashton Kutchner, or whatever the hell his name is, that guy. I um, Yeah. I, I always make fun of him ever since he was on that 70s show. And uh, But in re- I bet that guy is like a nice guy in real life for some reason. He's like a tech bro now. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. Like uh, he he was involved in Twitter early on, and okay. I think he's like some sort of investor now. Huh. Uh, and you know those guys are always really cool. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, he was a shit actor. I hated that that stupid show he was on. Um, and yeah, this, this didn't do anything to, to to make me like him even more. And. Uh, a weird, uh, not coincidence, but the Butterfly Effect 3 was part of the After Dark Horror series, which the movie we're about to talk about is also in. So, different levels of quality in that series, for sure. The I was never a fan of that 70s show, but I was a fan of that one lady that was in it. The uh, That big, big old gal there, that the red-headed lady. I forget her name. Oh, yeah, Laura, Laura Prepon. Yeah, man. Yeah, she's 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 really cool. Like in my my like, you know, toxic male world that I live in. <laughs> well, I did you know that guy who played uh, I, I think he, he, one of the main characters on that show is a Scientologist and just like was a, like accused of like rape from like like a bunch <laughs> of different people, like ten different people. Damn, like a total piece of shit. Yeah, I think he got arrested for, for it too eventually. Good. Um, well, uh, one other thing you and I talked about uh, a little bit was the HBO show. I was uh, going to mention that, actually about like stuff that uh, will segue into the, to my my things that I've seen too. Then because that's something I agree with. You turned me on to that show, and I I fucking love it, man. I think it's great. Oh, cool! I'm glad you like. I I didn't love it. Like I thought it started off interesting and petered out a little bit. I'm curious to see where the next three episodes go, but I like it for sure. Yeah, the third day. On HBO, check it out. It's uh, sure starts off strong, like you were saying, and um, right now I'm not sure where it's going. It can if it ends strong, then I think it's going to be a home run. It's got this kind of Wicker Man, uh, Adam Neville style British island kind of vibe to it, isolated from the rest of society. There's like this um, bizarre paganized version of Christianity that this small community is following. And um, you can go in a lot of different directions with it. I thought it was really cool. 
great cast too. Jude Law, Patty Constantine, Naomi Harris. I haven't seen any of the stuff with her in it yet. I'm kind of saving it so I can watch the three episodes in like one go. Yeah. The one thing I thought was funny though is um, one of the key set pieces, the key elements of this is that there's a uh, landmass that's connected to the mainland by a causeway. And the causeway is underwater for uh, most of the day, apparently, you know, with the tides. And um, they mentioned that the Romans built it, you know, in, in back when the Hadrian uh, was constructing his wall, when the Roman Empire was occupying the UK. And uh, so I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, they have, a, they have an overhead view of this causeway, and it's this serpentine, like, it doesn't go in a straight line. And I'm like... Couldn't the Romans have built this in a fucking straight line? I mean, they built they're like they're they're known as being engineers, you know what I'm saying? And it's like couldn't they have built a causeway that went straight instead of this like circuitous like serpent like route from island to island? That was the one thing I thought was yeah, that, odd. It doesn't make any sense, but visually it looks awesome. That overhead shot. It, it makes it to me it makes it just a little bit creepier than a straight line, I guess. I, I don't know. Obviously, uh, yeah, definitely. Aesthetically it was a good choice. <laughs> yeah, aesthetically a good choice, but logically, no. Yeah, yeah, totally. A uh, couple All things right. I saw was um, I, in in the most recent issue of Room Org, they they sort of go into this whole thing of like uh, you know movies that you haven't seen in the new millennium, and they they mentioned two films which I checked out. One was called The Shrine, and um, hmm. it wasn't that good. I ended up renting yeah. it, and. Uh, it, it has to do with uh, like this Eastern European, once again, like a paganized, you know, Catholic sort of cult, and you think that they're they're part of like this satanic ritual circle, but it turns out to be they flipped the script. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. someone goes missing. These Americans go and look for this person. They're journalists. They're trying to write a story, and that's basically the setting. And um, it just wasn't a very well done film, and uh, there's a couple things that didn't make any sense in it, and I, I basically give it like a thumbs down. So, but oh, uh, well, well, that's disappointing. On the other hand, the uh, I did see a movie called In the Cut, which is more in the thriller realm, but it stars uh, Meg Ryan, uh, Mark Ruffalo, Nick Amici, who was in Stakeland. I don't know if you ever seen that. And, I did. Uh, that's a that's a good one. Yeah. And and it's got a small uh, appearance of uh, none other uh, than um, uh, Kevin Bacon has a small part in it. You know, great Kevin Bacon takes place in the late '90s, so it has that sort of like in in New York City. So there's this, for me at least, a nostalgic sort of thing from the late '90s New York, and uh, it has to do with a murder. Oh, Jennifer Jason Lee is also in it. So right there. I'll, I'll check it out. I'll give it a shot if Jennifer Jason yeah. Lee's in it. Uh, Jennifer sure. Jason Lee and Meg Ryan are in it. They're uh, sisters. There's a murder. Ruffalo and Amici are cops, and they're investigating these brutal homicides. And then Ruff, Ruffalo gets sexually involved, sexually involved with Meg Ryan. And I don't know if Meg Ryan has been naked before, but she's naked a lot in this movie. So. Yeah, I can't recall her doing a nude scene in anything. Um, you said this is from the late '90s. Yeah, well, either 2000, no. like 2001, but like 
you know, 2001, 2002, it still feels like the 90s. Totally. Uh, I haven't seen Meg Ryan in anything lately, I, I feel like. Yeah, actually, there, there's like a concept that this movie actually might have ruined her career. Really? Yeah. I thought it was the Russell Crowe movie she did where like her personal life kind of spilled into the public and she made this movie with Russell Crowe and I guess she, they had an affair and she was married to uh, Dennis Quaid at the time. And after that, you didn't really see much of her. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, there you go. I mean, I could be making that up, but uh, something to look into, Mike. <laughs> I think that some people think this might have been one of the uh, harbingers of the end of her career because it was like very edgy and she was naked and there was a lot of like, you know, racy stuff in it. And she wasn't really known for that. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, wasn't she like, uh, well, what, what, what was she big from when Harry met Sally, right? That's, that's what I yeah. always seem to remember her from. But she wasn't naked uh, in that movie, though. No, no, she wasn't. But Billy Crystal was, right? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> was he? <laughs> yeah, no. He whipped out his cock in that movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that, that scene ended up on the cutting room floor. It just didn't fit the tone, I guess. I don't know. So you probably have like a director's um, cut of that movie where he's nude in it? He, yeah, and it's like violent and shit. He kills her in the end. It's all fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that sounds cool, man. I'm uh, I'm actually going to watch that tomorrow as my horror movie of the day because I'm kind of – kind of I have nothing on the slate for that. Like I said, it's not a horror movie per se, but it has like, you know, brutal murder in it and, you know, there's some like elements to it that if you like horror films that will you'll, – you'll like this. And – you know, it's kind of slow moving, very atmospheric. There's a lot of like, sh you know, cool shots in it. And, uh, you know, I like Mark Ruffalo as an actor. Um, mm. You know, I love Jennifer Jason Lee. She's great. You know, I pretty much I'm a big fan of hers. And uh, I like Nick Amici, too. You know, he's, he's a pretty cool actor. So it's pretty good. Yeah. You know, I, I watched Frantic as one of my movie of the day, which is a huge stretch, but also, you know, a thriller more of a kidnapping thriller. Um, I movie didn't age that well. I'm a big fan of Polanski's films, and I, I remember liking that one a lot more. And I hadn't seen it in a good 20 years. And uh, well, it was still decent. It didn't hold up. Like, not, not one of my favorite films of his. A, a movie that I dig that Jennifer Jason Lee was in, and this movie's actually kind of hard to find, is this movie called Rush that she stars in with Jason Patrick. Have you ever seen that? Oh, yeah. Great yeah, movie. yeah, that's a, that's a, yeah, really dark, really depressing stuff. The, uh, Greg Allman is in it. <laughs> it's, God, I haven't seen it since it came out, like, literally, like, when I was living at my parents' house still, so I'm, I was the teenager. Greg Allman plays, like, the, the, the villain. It's, um, he doesn't have a lot of lines, he just is this presence in the movie, and it's basically about, uh, undercover, uh, you know, DEA agents and this redneck um, drug ring and Greg Allman's the drug lord. You know, it's good. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. You know, Jennifer Jason Lee was in a great movie that came out, uh, I think it was 2018, uh, Annihilation. Did you see that? You know, man, I saw it. She was good. The acting was good. I didn't really like the movie, though. Hmm. You would think I would like that movie, though, because of what it, the subject matter and everything, but I just didn't get down with it. 
Oh man, I loved it. I like that director a lot. I loved Ex Machina. Uh, he's got a show on FX called Devs that I haven't seen, but I, I need to get around to, to, to watching that. Ex Machina is great. That's like one of my favorite movies. I've seen that many times, and um, I haven't seen Devs. Yeah, that too. definitely looks cool, though, Devs. Yeah, I got to check that out. I should, I, should, I should get on that. Yeah. All right, man. So Lake Mungo, like you mentioned earlier, it was part of that Dark Sky Films uh, series that, uh, that the Butterfly Effect was part of. Yeah, Butterfly Effect 3, which was, that was in the third collection. Lake Mungo is from uh, the fourth collection of the After Dark Horror Fest, Eight Films to Die For. Yeah. Um, did you ever watch any of those other movies or, like, ever get curious about them? No, I definitely watched them because um, at the time when those movies came out, uh, you know, back in, like, 2008, 2007, uh, I was living in Greenpoint, and there was um, a a video store called Photoplay, which, uh, did I ever go there with you by any chance? I feel like I, who did I go? I, I went there with somebody. I, I took someone there. Wasn't me. All right. Oh, it was Ryan Patterson, actually. I went, when one of the times ah. Coliseum was playing in town, we went there. And um, that, that was like the greatest, one of the last probably of its kind video stores in, um, and it's closed now, unfortunately, but, uh, yeah. And, and nothing, nothing's actually taking its place. It's just like an empty space right now. Um, so, you know, he would get all this stuff and then he would get like the, you know, the After Dark uh, series, you know, when, when those, those DVDs came out. Um, and, and I remember like I did watch a few of them and most of them weren't very good. And uh, that's why initially I had very low expectations for Lake Mungo. Mm, yeah, like... The thing was, like, they would always have, like, one movie that, like, was from, you know, was made in the UK or Australia, and they would, like, make it a part of this, and that would always be, like, the, the standout. Like, uh, Horrorfest 3 had this British film called The Broken, uh, and it was, it, it was good. Um, it, was, it was really good. I, I enjoyed it. And it, 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 I think it was like I had an actual release over there or it played like some festivals, whereas the rest of the films were, you know, straight to DVD, which this is pre-streaming. Back then, that kind of meant like, you know, the movie was of uh, lesser quality. I haven't heard that one. Well, basically, what's like a little thumbnail of that movie? Like, what's it about? Well, it's, it's very like short on plot. It's about this family and basically like, mirror images of these people coming out and, and taking over their lives. Oh, okay. Um, it's a quick one. It's like, you know, less than an hour and a half. And it's a very like, that's what I just told you. That's basically the movie, but, uh, it's, it, it's very stylish, well shot. Uh, you can rent it on Amazon for like three bucks. Oh, cool. All right. uh, it's totally, totally worth checking out. Um, and, uh, you know, I did have, some, uh, I remember the first time I saw League Mungo was, uh, I, uh, this is again, pre-streaming, so I, I would read reviews in Rube Morgue, and I read a review for that and thought, that sounds interesting, I'm just going to buy this. And uh, I always, I'm glad this movie is now kind of getting its due, because again, now that it's streaming has become so popular, I think people are branching out and watch what they watch, especially this time of year, everyone's seen The Shining, everyone's seen Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, I think people are looking for something a little bit different. Right. 
Well, let, let's do and, like uh, a quick, this one uh, seems to be getting. Oh, sorry, sorry. sorry go ahead, man. I'll no, finish what you're saying. I didn't no, no. I uh, I don't remember what I was saying. Go ahead. <laughs> let's do a quick like uh, just breakdown of the release and everything. So it came out sure. uh, June 18th, 2008, written and directed by Joel Anderson. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, it's an Australian production distributed by Arclight Films. It is 89 minutes, and its budget in Australian dollars is $1.7 million. Uh, run through the, ca the cast real quick, real quick here. It's like we got Rosie Trainer as June Palmer, David Pledger as Russell Palmer, Martin Sharp as Ma Matthew Palmer, Talia Zucker as Alice Palmer, Steve Jodrell as Ray Remeni. And that's, that's it's kind of a small cast. There's like some miscellaneous people that, you know, brought in and out of it. And, um, and yeah, so uh, what, what are your thoughts on this movie? Um, have you seen these actors in anything else ever? No. But that's not to say that they're not, you know, big stars in Australia, really. Right. Well, I mean, a movie like this, you mentioned it's a sort of a mockumentary and found footage. Uh, in order for a mockumentary to work, it, it's got to feel real and believable. And this movie feels absolutely believable. I, I can imagine sitting around with my parents in the living room and putting this on and then not telling them it's not real and then believing it. You know what I mean? Like all the actors really, really sell it. And uh, it's not easy. This is a, there's a lot going on in this movie. Like, they pack an entire like season of television into like an hour and a half, basically. Actually, that's a good point because uh, you know that I, I didn't think of it that way, but you could have made almost like this um, Twin Peaks esque series out of just the the premise of this movie, really. And uh, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's similar in, in the way that. The, essentially, the plot is about uh, the death of uh, this girl, Alice Palmer. <laughs> Not Laura Palmer. I, I wrote that down. I wrote, <laughs> I wrote that down. <laughs> you know, I, I'd be interested to really to talk with the writer. I'm wondering if, like, huh, I wonder if, like, this, this was sort of inspired by that, you know? I, I, I didn't notice it the other times I see it, and now I don't know how I didn't. Like, there's so many parallels between the characters and – that name just can't be a coincidence. Yeah. Um, so just like a brief overview is that she initially, uh, she dies, she drowns in Lake Mungo. And the, you know, the family is having a hard time dealing with it. And um, like, like Jeff mentioned, it's, it's told in a mockumentary style, intercut with, uh, I guess, what you, what you could say are archival footage. Like some of it's like stuff that allegedly was found on her cell phone. And, and um, there's interviews with the family. And then the brother, uh, Matthew, is, um, is like a, a, a videographer, photographer sort of guy. And some of his mm -hmm. still photography and video stuff is also cut into the, into the film to tell the story. And, um, you know, there's a psychic involved. And then, midway through the film, we find out that something else is going on that might have, and th and this was the the biggest, uh, the, you know, the heaviest scene, the heaviest part of the movie for me is that 
intercut within the within the movie is the potential that there's a that that Allie's ghost is haunting the house, and um, mm. and then there's there's a, a discovery later on, and that is when things start making more sense as to why, if she was a ghost, she might be haunting that that house. So. Right, and she just was hearing you talk about like there's so much going on in this movie in so little time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's uh, that that's a real brief like sketch of the film, but yeah, you know, we can get into some of the more uh, more meaningful parts of it, you know. Yeah, like uh, oh, obviously, grief is 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 a major theme in this movie, and the first half or so really kind of deals with that and shows like how the different family members are coping with what happens, uh, how normal people can start to do this strange things. The father is, you know, working too much and his coworkers are kind of conflicted about it. Like they don't know how to approach him about it. Um, you know, the brother throws himself into his, his video work, his photography and, you know, um, the mother, the mother's having the toughest time. Like they touch on this and I wish they expanded it. She's breaking into people's houses to feel, to, to step into someone else's shoes. And that's just kind of mentioned a couple times and they don't really go delve too into it. But I found that really, really interesting how a normal suburban mom would just start doing you know, committing, you know, breaking and entering. Well, similar to some of the themes that go on in Twin Peaks and a lot of David Lynch's films, like, uh, you know, Blue Velvet, it, this, is mm. just, this is just a typical suburban town in Australia. Like, everyone's, like, very normal. The, the actors playing the characters looks very normal. But there's a dark story that's lurking beneath the surface of everything. And then the tragedy of Ali dr- drowning is um, the, the, the impact on everyone is explored. And like you were saying, like I would like to have heard more about her motivations and sort of expanded on that, you know, and, and the film is actually edited pretty tightly. I mean, it's only, it's less than 90 minutes, you know, and they could have actually played up more on that. I think they could have explored some of the mother's motivations for like doing all that. Yeah, absolutely. Like, again, like I said, this is a, a TV show, basically. Like, yeah. or it could have been an entire universe, you know. And um, their grief leads them to a psychic. Is that right? Like, they finally yeah. want, like... So well, the brother discovers something in a photo, right? Yeah, that's how it works out. And, uh, the, yeah, the brother, you know, he's doing these photography projects, that, you know, very, very interesting, like, uh, you know, creative projects. And... They just they see things in the photos that look that look like the, the the dead sister basically you know it looks like her apparition is appearing in photography so they get involved with a psychic um, who you know claims that they could con- contact the dead and you know find out and communicate and that kind of thing you know how do you feel about that stuff Mike in general how do I feel about it yeah yeah I, I don't I don't believe a lot of that stuff I think. Um, I mean, do I believe in ghosts? Is that is, all right? There's, I guess there's two tiers to your question. Number one, do I believe in ghosts? Uh, 
I believe that, yeah, I mean, I guess I do. I have never experienced anything like that, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for some echo of your consciousness reverberating in reality and somehow being detected by people around you. Uh, how do I feel about like people who like, like psychics and stuff who try to exploit people? Yeah. I think it's just yeah. um, people preying on other people's grief, really. And uh, I, I don't think that you can, by these, any kind of means, connect with that presence. And that presence, I don't think, would be that person anymore. I think it would be something else. Like, it would be another aspect of your consciousness that would be stuck in this echo. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, totally. I'm with you on the psychic thing. I think they are vultures playing, just yeah. preying on people's grief, uh, which is sort of interesting about the character of Ray, the psychic in this. He's not really that kind of guy. I mean, he is. I, I think he's, he's full of shit. I don't think he can really communicate with, with uh, the dead, as in, like, you know, like, he's shocked when he sees this, this photo because he's never seen a ghost. Like, he, he's a fake. Yeah. He's a fraud, but he's a nice guy. He doesn't come across as a predator or sketchy or anything. He just seems like he really does genuinely want to help this family get over their grief. I mean, even in the, the, the first interview you see with Ray, he said, you know, a third or something of my job is, is helping people deal with, with the pain of losing someone. So, uh, it's an interesting character, you know, like, in a lesser movie, maybe Ray's like a bigger piece of shit, you know, like yeah. kind of a scumbag. But uh, Ray seems like a genuinely like a good guy. Yeah, there's some complexity with him. And, and um, I, I also got the sense that there was like some projection going on. You know what I mean? Like where, like s similar to people who believe in Bigfoot. Like there's this whole Bigfoot <laughs> subculture that's been going on for decades. And they want to believe, but there's no real proof of Bigfoot. You know what I mean? And I think that Ray sure. is is that similar to that where he probably genuinely believes in ghosts. Maybe he's projected some evidence, but he's never actually seen one in a photo or experienced, uh, you know, a supernatural, uh, you know, connection like that. And uh, but yeah, a very, very good, good character, very good. Uh, characterization and also like you know he brought up the fact that part of he also really legitimately wants to help someone he help, wants to help people yeah yeah I, good character well acted um he also has a secret though which we'll get to a little later yeah. there's a lot of deception going on in this movie it's another key theme is everyone seems to have a secret um but, uh, yeah, uh, like, so the brother's taking these pictures. He sees, uh, we start to see more pictures. Well, the, the first one was in the backyard, right? Yeah. And the second was in her bedroom? Yeah, I don't know the order. I just remember the one in the backyard was, like, part of a project where it was, like, uh, an ongoing uh, capture of a certain angle of the backyard. And then you see this apparition that looks like his sister. You know? and right. The second one was taken at the dam where she drowned. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She didn't drown at Lake Mungo. Uh, she drowned at, at the dam. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In their town. 
And uh, someone, I, this picture wasn't taken by her brother. It was taken by uh, someone else. Yeah, they were out in the woods. And you see, like, a, a lurking, like, a figure that looks like her is wearing her clothes. And um, this causes the family to exhume the body. Um, but it seems like an extreme stretch. That, but I, I guess when you're thing. dealing with that kind of grief... Because the, the mother, because the mother now believes she's alive, right? Yeah, yeah, the mother. Yeah, exactly. I think that there's this belief that they're going off the deep end with all this stuff. You know what I mean? And and also, I can't believe that someone could convince like a you know legally have the body exhumed just because they're you know going through this like pseudo like supernatural experience, you know, sort of exploration. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, the father, let, like, again, com complex character, the father, he's the one who has to ID the body, and he sees, she sees his waterlogged dead, dead daughter. Right. So he feels a little, you know, he's like, I saw the body, I know she's gone, but now these pictures are coming up, he's starting to doubt himself. Yeah, because, I mean, I've never seen a waterlogged body before, <laughs> but apparently it takes a... It, it does a number on the human body being stuck in the water for extended periods of time. And I, I can imagine sec having second thoughts and maybe it's not the actual body. Maybe it's someone else entirely, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it, it's a, I want to mention that it's a really gruesome image when you see her, her dead body. It's, it's disturbing. Yeah. And uh, so they dig up the body and they identify it as her, and the grief and pain start all over again. And now there's no hope. And the father thinks he sees a ghost, not in a photo, but actually comes in and talks to him. And they, they kind of never mention that again. It's like she just came into her room where I was and said, get out. And, you know, uh, the mockumentary cuts to like a coworker of his. And uh, says, do you believe him? He goes, yeah, I do. I believe he believes he saw something. And I don't know if that's a ghost, but I believe he believes it. And uh, that's kind of what, what, how I feel when, when you know, because I, I don't really believe in anything supernatural, afterlife, any of that stuff. That's sort of my take anytime someone tells me their personal ghost story. I'm like, well, you believe it's real. You know, I'm not going to sit here with my arms crossed and be like, I'm an atheist. That shit's not real. I think, you know, something like, you know, belief is a very powerful thing. It can make something so utterly untrue, true to someone like, you know, like religion. Oh, exactly like religion. But also, I mean, all right. One thing about the supernatural, though, is do I believe in in the supernatural, quote unquote, I'm not saying that I do, but what I do believe in is undiscovered knowledge that the same way science might have appeared to be sorcery like 500 years ago. That's what right. I, I believe that the, the universe is still revealing itself to us. You know what I mean? And uh, Sure. And I like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, that's kind of a cop out way of saying that I believe in the, I don't believe in the supernatural by saying something like that. But it's like. <laughs> Because it basically is saying that, oh, yeah, you do, but you're just calling it something else. You know what I mean? Right. And, yeah, like you said, we're, we're on a rock in infinite space. And, like, there's just so much we don't understand. I can't sit there and say, well, I know there's nothing that happens. 
Um, who the fuck knows? I don't know. Right. All right. Anyhow, where, with, where with were respect we? to the father, though, now some of the things that are being presented to us, we discover are false, are you know deceptions, like you were saying. The father's yeah. ghost encounter, I believe, might be one of the only the first of a couple of supernatural things that actually happen in the film. Really interesting. Yeah. I didn't know what to make of it. I thought for me, it, it was some sort of uh, just moment of, you know, reflection where he was kind of maybe spacing out, thinking about his daughter and this sort of idea manifested in his head. And then he snapped out of it. That's kind of what I thought, but okay. uh, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, but no, you know, like the, the way the movie reveals itself, you could be right. That, that was my take on it at first, just because of the way things kind of wrap around in this film, you know? Yeah. Um, so I guess the, the first big deception that we find out, all these photographs are fake. And um, that's brought to light by uh, the Withers video, this, this couple that was you know, vacationing at the dam and they were doing some recording of their own. Mm -hmm. Right that day that the photograph of uh, Alice was taken, or Alice's ghost, rather. And it's revealed that it's the <laughs> brother dressed up as Alice. So he was faking these photographs. Um, uh, it doesn't really, does he get a clear explanation of why he did it? I, I was, like, trying to figure out why, why this guy would do something like that. But, you know. I also think that, um, I mean, they, they don't really explain it, but obviously it had to do with his extreme guilt or grief. I'm sorry, grief, extreme, extreme grief over the situation. But um, maybe it's a way for him to keep Allie in, in the consciousness of the family by believing that there's a ghost or I don't know. I have no idea why he would do something like that. It seems like, you know, he would be exposed eventually and would cause even more pain to the family. And this part was, was a little odd to me. No one seems mad at him. That's what I, I found that strange, too, you know? Like, that would be like... like I'd um, be fucking furious. Yeah, you, you would probably be cast out of the... Exiled from the family, you know, for doing something like that during that period. Yeah, it's, like, clear everyone's, like, you know, dad seeing ghosts, mom's doing some B&Es. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he had to call psychics, like, and 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 they're just like, yeah, you know, we got to protect our son, and they're just kind of okay with it, like, uh, and he's basically like doesn't seem that remorseful. He's like, yeah, I did it, um, <laughs> and that's that, and um, he even goes on a road trip with the psychic after this this revelation happens. Like, they're still cool. And, and and even though he's like, he faked all this, he says, like, I know there's a presence in our house. Well, that might have been one of his motivations then, now that you think of it. It's like, you know, maybe he's convinced that there was something there. There was a, a ghost, you know, he's feeling something and he wants to draw attention by creating like this hoax. I don't know. I mean, I think they could have done yeah. it different 
approach to this, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah, exactly. But from his deception, we learn of a whole other deception. We learn that Allie kind of had a secret life. Yeah. Well, not kind of. She definitely she did. She definitely did. <laughs> and, and this is <laughs> yeah. when it gets very Twin, Twin Peaks-esque, in my opinion. It's, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. There's so many parallels between Laura Palmer and then and, and Alice Palmer. So in one of those faked photographs, the mother sees something in the right lower corner of, of that photo, and it's a person. That's a person she recognizes. Yep. And it's, uh, it's their neighbor, uh, the Tuies, the Tuies are their neighbors. And she starts to wonder, you know, why is this guy creep, our neighbor <laughs> creeping through our house? Uh, I got to say, it's quite an image, like, to, to see, like, the face lurking in a photo. Yeah. Uh, it, it was really, uh, really well done. Very effective. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, and again, this, this, this part gets a little rushed. They find out Allie had a safe. They just discover this out of, out of thin air, pretty much. Uh, they get into the safe. They don't really say how, and they discover a videotape. And, uh, the stuff, the contents of the tape is, is pretty disturbing to them. Allie, this, uh, this 16 year old, uh, is, basically having sex with the very adult neighbors that she babysits for. Yeah, exactly, man. And it, and it's like, it, it's just so, it's, it's real sleazy too. It has this very sleazy like vibe to it, you know, just like, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. Totally. And no one knew this. I guess there was no hint about this. Like the, the mockumentary kind of interviews Alice, uh, her friends, to her family, and everyone's like basically like, no, we had no idea this was going on. Yeah, and her boyfriend. Remember, she had a boyfriend too. Yeah, she had a boyfriend. So she she hid this completely from everyone. And so now you have this big parallel with with uh, Laura, but she's also being, I would say, she's being sexually abused. I would say so. I mean, it's uh, you know, she's sixteen. She's a, she's a kid, and this guy's like a thirty something, probably forty year old man. I mean, it's. Uh... You know, it's definitely predatory. It's against the law, probably. I know in this country, it's uh, it's illegal to do that. Uh, there's a million things wrong with it. You know, it's, you know, I mean, yes. you know, as I, I know, like, you know, there's always the story of, of young people, young, young adults or young women or young, even young men where they have sex with older, <laughs> older adults that it fucks with them psychologically. You know, there's always like some kind of like fallout, some sort of trauma associated with it. You know, even though he wasn't like raping her per se, he was still damaging her on a, you know, a emotional level. Obviously. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But we never really get her, how she felt about this. Was this something that she liked or something she felt forced to be a part of? we don't get any kind of kind of indication of like, you know, there's no talk of her being disturbed really. Um, so we never really find out. And conveniently the, the two have sold their house and left town. Yeah. They sort of knew once Alice died, something was eventually going to come out. Um, 
One thing initially I thought, why would Alice have the tape? It seemed like a, a huge, like, uh, misstep. Like, they wouldn't give her the tape. Hell no. Hell like, no. Well, first of all, it's fucked up that they even videotaped it. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, the, yeah. on many, many levels. Like, the, honest, the last thing I want to see is a video of myself having sex. I don't want to, you know what I mean? I, I don't know about you, but like, for me, that's like the last thing I want to see is like myself naked on camera, you know? And <laughs> the other thing is, why would you give that tape or allow that tape in the hands of a and to cause a potential to uncover a potential felony, you know, charge. And I have uh, a theory about that. Okay, well, I w what's your theory? Oh, you, you finish first. Well, no, I, I was going to say unless she was the one who had the tape made, that's the only thing that really makes sense is that somehow she set it up. You know, I my theory is once I thought about this was. She stole the tape from them, and she was going to blackmail them or something like that. Yeah, like, you know, that, that's a they good... They, ah. They, they, there's no hint of that, but they keep saying Alice had secrets. She could keep so many secrets. Maybe that was it. Maybe that's why the Tui's left. Actually, you know what? The fact that the, the guy was looking for the tape probably right. supports your theory. You know what I mean? Like the fact yeah. that he broke into the house for some reason, he was probably looking for the tape because it went missing from his collection of, uh, you know, of, of uh, videos of him having sex with underage girls. You know? Yeah, because I'm sure she's not the only one. It's funny how you was you. I, I also assume that too. But isn't that funny how you assume that like the guy's just like this creep? You know, this predator. You know. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he's, like, lurking around in people's houses in the dark and shit. <laughs> That's some serious fucking creep behavior, you know? He, was, yeah. he probably came by the house a few times, like, hey, we're just checking on you. How you doing? Like, looking yep. around, seeing yeah. if you can see anything. <laughs> like, there's not even an interview with this guy. Like, you just see him in a couple photographs, and he just kind of looks like a rat-faced creep. But you know what? The fact that so much is left out is... I, and I know a lot of times, like, when people you know you you build your own bridges between stuff sometimes it's good in this mm. case i think it's good but a lot of times like you know sometimes bad directors will leave these holes in the plot and you're like well yeah you know he it's done that way so you could fill in the blanks but in this this, <laughs> this time around i actually believe that that actually was the idea is that you fill in the blanks and this is probably the idea you know the concept of the movie yeah, I think if you zoomed out, like there'd be like so much going on that they probably that they they thought about like like if, at first, like I said, at first I thought that, that the tape was a huge error, like she wouldn't have it. And you know, you think on it some more, and like oh, this it does make sense. Yeah. And and again, this this poor family, they had this huge revelation, and uh, you know, there's just no end for their pain, and now they think like, well, this this family kind of inadvertently at like maybe added to her death. That's my feeling. And also one of the things that I always, I, I, I'm always drawn to these types of stories that take place in small towns or the suburbs or whatever, because, you know, I grew up, you know, you and I both grew up in smaller towns, suburbs, you know, yeah. you know, sort of rural yeah. areas. And, uh, 
there's stories like this that happen that I that you're barely aware of, but I remember maybe years later you hear about a story like this where there's like a teacher. In my case, there was a guy, a teacher that I actually had, or I mean, he this one particular teacher was my AP chemistry teacher, and he was also my JV football coach, and he and I had this like very very good like relationship. You know, it was like someone that inspired me and I was very, you know, influenced by him. And, and, uh, you know, he was like one of these guys where like you, you were motivated with him, you know? And then years later right. I found out that he was having sex with a, a, you know, like a 15 or 16 year old girl. Like, you know, he was married and you know, it was fucked. It fucked with me. That was my first dose of like, just some of the underlying darkness of, of things that happen in life, you know? And, uh, you know, I remember hearing about that. It was, it was kind of devastating really, you know? And, um, you just, yeah. you imagine like, and that's like a similar type of thing. I mean, I don't, I don't think he videotaped her or what, you know, any creepy like that, try breaking her house or anything. But I mean, the environment that you and I both kind of grew up in, there's a lot of boredom, you know, there's a lot of these like, you know, there's not much to do. You know what I mean? Like, kids that grew up in the city, they had, like, the whole urban environment to, like, contend with. And that has its own list of things that, and pitfalls and other things that happen and things that can happen and go wrong. But boredom, I think, is one of the biggest reasons for small town, like, suburban youth going into, like, these places. And they find themselves into in these situations that are probably kind of devastating like it was the case of Allie you know it's like this older guy you know she's like a young woman she's still basically a kid you know and looking for excitement something new something uh you know that's different from the normal everyday life and then she gets wrapped up in this thing and it turns out to be like this huge huge mistake that obviously affected her deeply so right yeah, um, growing up in the side, grew up in Manchester, Connecticut. I also had a teacher I really liked, liked him a lot. Uh, he taught history, and uh, I thought he was a, a great guy. You know, I find out years and years later he was banging a couple of his students. Yeah, and when I found that out, you know what I was like, huh? I'm not surprised. Really? Because yeah, like I kind of noticed he was a little bit like flirt flirty with some of the girls like oh and hey the lovely katie has something to say you know like little things like that interesting and uh yeah i, I too I, I was i wasn't i was surprised that he would cross that line but but i was also like oh well you know that kind of checks out now that i think about it and you're definitely right about the suburbs man people get bored they get into drugs Yep. A lot of people I know that like stuck around in town, they became addicts, alcoholics, yeah. a couple of them are dead. You know, it's why people fucking join militias and do crazy shit. You know, they're, yeah. they're fucking bored. Okay. I am fortunate. I found, you know, music at, at a young age. And that was my path out of that. That is what kept me interested. And I didn't turn to, you know, I partied as a kid, but, you know, I never had a, had a problem with it. Uh, the way some people I know did, or like, you know, that was my ticket out, you know, and it worked. Yeah, it's, it's just, there's stories like this all over, man, like sm small towns everywhere. And it's just like, uh, 
Yeah, that, that's why I've always been fascinated with these stories because they're they're almost like they're they're so common, and that's the whole thing with Twin Peaks too. You know, like yeah, it's mm-hmm. like this this small town, like everything's you know it's safe, quote unquote, and but there's all this dark shit going on. You know, all this like very violent, horrible things, and there might not be that that much of that stuff going on, but when it does when it's juxtaposed to the tranquil lifestyle everyone else is leading, it just seems even more horrific. Absolutely. Australia seems to be really good at making these kind of, kind of films. Like, oh, yeah. There's this great uh, murder noir called The Square that came out right around this same time as this. Uh, another, like, small-town sort of crime caper. There's The Boys, another, like, disturbing Australian film. Uh Snowtown Murders. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. Yeah, that one. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a brutal one. That's actually true. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay, anyway. Uh, <laughs> so this leads to... So now the, the, this is kind of like a scandal in the town. And, you know, this family's really been through a lot, and they're about to learn that Ray has also been deceiving them in, in a way. Uh, it turns out, again, like Laura Palmer, Allie is having disturbing visions that she can't seem to process. She like, and she says she's having bad dreams, but yeah. I kind of wonder: are they dreams? Are they premonitions? Like, it's it's not totally totally clear. Well, this this is the, uh, the my favorite part of the film. Actually, is is um, there there's a, a road trip she goes on with her friends out to the uh, you know out to the or whatever the out whatever the hell you call it, it looks like this kind of des- uh, deserty yeah outback to- you know lake mungo yeah, yeah they go to lake, lake mungo, mungo. Yeah. <laughs> the name of the movie yeah they go there um, <laughs> and there's a series a series of uh of uh cell phone videos that they find and they realize that uh you know these these premonitions or are, are carrying over into her hangout with her friends. And, um, yeah, this is like the thing about the film. This is what, I mean, if, if this hadn't been part of the movie, I wouldn't have liked it as much. And now this is what really makes me love the movie is that she has a vision sure. of her dead self, you know, bloated, right? And then there's this, um, you know, this inter- this monologue of her talking where she's like, you know, I've always had the feeling that, something terrible was going to happen or maybe it already did and it's I'm rushing towards it, you know? And, and, right. Uh, yeah. And it's like a lot, a lot of like concepts that are put out there about, uh, the other world is, is that time doesn't exist. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you, you know, whatever, uh, even, even in like, uh, true detective, which borrows heavily, mm. heavily from uh, what the hell's that guy? Ligotti, the author. Thomas Ligotti, Thomas one Ligotti. of the, the greatest writers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, time is a flattened circle or whatever, you know, all that kind of stuff where it's like, you know, um, where time doesn't exist and that everything all has happens, everything is existing at the same, you know, period. You can jump around. Same time, and, yeah. And that's like what connects this part to that sort of philosophy is that her living and dead self are present at the same moment. And she sees a vision of herself dead. 
you know, and it just adds this like real downer, like fatal, like view, fatal vision to the whole movie, you know? Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's like the center piece of the movie, like the audio of her talking to Ray, Mm -hmm. describing like these dark feelings she's having and then playing that audio over her dead bloated self walking towards her. And it's a, it's a great moment and it's really, really creepy. And, uh, you know, for a horror movie, there's not a lot of big scares in this movie. It's more internal and psychological. And this is just one of the more like unsettling images in the movie. And it's, it's such a well done moment. And, uh, yeah, she realizes now that like, okay, like something terrible is going to happen. She buries her, her phone and her, like some of her more prized possessions. Yeah. And leaves them there. And interesting too, like again, it's like she kind of just goes about her life. No one really knows that something really disturbing happened to her. And she just internalizes it. And then not long after that, she, she drowns. Yeah. It's uh, now let me ask you a question. And I, I just need you to remind me of this is her, her adventure that Lake Mungo, where she sees her dead self, did that happen before or after her uh, sex sexcapades with the neighbor? Hmm. Let me see. Well, okay. Uh, she dies in what, 2006? And I think she saw her death in 2005. So I, I would think I, maybe it was happening happening while this was going on. I wasn't totally clear on that either. Yeah, because like part of me thought like maybe like her motivation for getting wrapped up with the neighbor had to do with her own seeing her own death. You know. Yeah, that's yeah. Maybe probably yeah. I'm trying to see, I wrote down some dates, but. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not entirely sure about that. But I do think it's all sort of, it's all connected. Yeah, the movie made me think a lot, actually. It's, um, you know, you think about timelines of people's lives and, and you know, you think about death and mortality and, and uh, you know, the, you know, if, how would you feel if you saw your, your death, like your, the dead, your dead self? And I guess, like, in her case... When she saw her her dead herself as a dead person, it wasn't an old, you know, person. It was like someone that was just like essentially the same age, but all fucked up and bloated, you know. Right, but even though it doesn't look like her, she instantly recognizes it as her. Yeah, and she just knew. And it's not explain the instinct to preserve her possessions in the phone was it like. I have to keep this phone here so someone will discover it. Is it a ritualistic thing? It's, it's not made clear. And that makes it even creepier to me. Yeah. I mean, the mindset that she had, who knows, maybe she just wanted to bury that, bury that, forget about it or whatever. Cause if you think about it, it's like, who the hell wants to know like when you're going to die, you know? Right. Right. And 
that's not like in, in, in where it differs from Laura Palmer in Twin Peaks. Her her death is a mystery. It, it, it's to murder, and and here she just she just drowns. She's just gone. Like it could have gone a bunch of different ways, you know. Like, like I remember the first time seeing that maybe like you know like the neighbors <laughs> killed her or something like that. They right. cover up their yeah. You know, but it really is. She just drowns. It's just an accident. And so the family discovers the phone. They go out to Lake Mungo. They bury it up. They see this footage. And, you know, like they go back to the house and somehow there's a calm in them, which is kind of weird to me. If I had seen that, I would have been highly fucking disturbed. Oh, hell yeah, definitely. And would have been more unnerved. So after all that, they see that, and then the movie like okay, they they forgive Ray. Ray's like their buddy now; they're hanging out. And then you realize Alice really was with them the whole time. And you go back, and they show the doctor photographs, and they'll point to an image of Alice actually being there. Yeah, it's fucking. And it, it book it. It bookends nicely because I think that we didn't mention the movie opens up with black and white photography of like, you know, ghosts of, of, uh, from, from long ago. And it ends with photography of ghosts, ghosts of now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was a, a, a nice touch. And, uh, you know, that family photo with Alice working in the window in the back it was nice and, and creepy. Yeah, the movie... It, it's like a quiet film, really, you know? It's not, uh, you know, you're, there isn't going to be any, like, you know, like monsters or zombies or beheadings or fucking brutal violence or anything like that. But <laughs> it's a very gloomy, atmospheric, quiet movie. Would, 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 you, uh, would, you, would you agree with me on that? Yeah, I absolutely. Like, like even like, like a good documentary, you got to feel like you're in that town with, with them, with those people, with that. And, and this, this movie does that. You like, it does, you know, not a, a lot of nice shots of the exterior of the house or the lay of the land. Uh, it, it, you're really in there. And again, like you can forget that this isn't real. Like none of these uh, actors feel like they're performing or acting. There's not a false note in this movie at all, which is really tough to do. I've seen, you know, found footage became really popular right around the time that this came out. Yeah. And a lot of them were shit because you just, you don't believe it. It's like they're, they're clearly acting or that's a CGI monster or whatever. And this movie just completely sidesteps all that. Yeah, and I, like, I would, I would say most of them didn't work, man. I, I've never, I, I wasn't really a big found footage fan, really. Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, there's a couple I mean, obviously, Blair Witch, sort of like the the, the grandmother of them all, is is really well done, and that I mean that had like a, the one of the greatest marketings behind it that there ever was for for a movie. I mean, yeah. people didn't know if, if what they were seeing was real or not. It, I, I um, gotta be honest, man. I wasn't that big of a fan of that. I saw it in the theaters when it came out, and I I had mm. higher expectations. However, I do believe that there were some definite moments in there. Like the ending I thought was brilliant, you know? Yeah, that's a great end. I, I love that movie. 
Uh, I, I, I bought it on VHS the day it came out because I missed it in theaters. I sat in my small room in Boston, like sitting like three feet from the TV. And I, again, like, man, you were there with them. Like, it, it was terrifying. And, and nothing really happens. It, no. It's such a brilliant movie. Um, I love it, man. It's one of my favorites. Uh, Cloverfield's a good one. I mean, that one's kind of fun. You know, it's certainly not believable, but it's it's a, a fun monster movie. Yeah. Um, more recently, Hell House. Oh yeah, yeah. was uh, mm-hmm. yep. The first one of those is this. I think there's three of them. The first one is great. The second one's terrible. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. It's kind of a, a, a shitty. Uh, genre like subgenre of horror, like you can make cheaply and pump them out, and you know most of them don't work. But this one really, really works. I would say wreck, wreck, the Spanish wreck. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a good one. And also the VHS series, I really enjoyed. Yeah, I, I, hit or miss, really. Like there, there's some great uh, moments. In all three of those, the third one's probably the worst, but yeah. everyone's got at least one, one segment that is amazing. The one that's uh, uh, what the hell is it called? Like uh, Wonderland or whatever. The the one the one where the uh, the devil like comes out of that chick, and it's like takes place in uh, they're in like Cambodia or like Thailand or something like that. And uh, yeah, like, the, the, the cult, cult that one's yeah. That's my favorite out of all three, really. Oh yeah, that's definitely my favorite. The I don't remember much of the third one, but this director I liked, a uh, Spanish director, did a segment in that, and then that was my favorite segment. Like, another mirror world kind of thing where the guy opens the door in his house and he's in a different version of his house. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like, well, I liked it so much I can't fucking remember what happens, but I liked it. Yeah. I, <laughs> there was that one that was, uh, had to do with the couple, and they're traveling, and there's like some weird chick following them. And then he get the guy gets his throat slit, and then the last scene is like his his wife girlfriend making out with the murderer in the bathroom while they're while they're she's filming them like together, and it was like right that yeah I was like what That's, the fuck uh, is this what 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 even happened like part you know what I mean there's like so much like that it just left on the table, and you you know and I was like what the fuck is this even about you know yeah uh, that actor is a. Uh, Joe Swanberg. We talked about his movie last time uh, yeah. that he wrote, uh, The Rental. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, that one's directed by Ty West, the guy who did uh, uh, House of the Devil. Yeah. I yeah. that's that's my favorite one in that, but I, I'm also too like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, it reminds like, me of being on tour in a weird way. You know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> like, like there's there's something that resonated with me, and I guess that from just traveling on the road about like staying in hotels and stuff, you know. And it's like, like I imagine you guys probably stayed in these like fucking five star like hotels, and like we're we're out on the edge of town somewhere, you know, in some fucking shitty room. And uh, that so my my experience is probably different than your experience on tour, but but um, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, we, we we weren't above staying in a Lacienda or places like that. You know, we, I, I, towards the end, in a way, I mean, we didn't do like Motel Six or anything like that. But yeah. like, we, there was nothing, nothing, uh, nothing too fancy going on. You know, I imagine, <laughs> but you guys, hotel, yeah, was, you guys had like some like Four Seasons <laughs> shit where there's like lobsters in your room and everything, and you know, 
massages. Yeah, and I had like a per- yeah, I had a person follow me around to like tie my shoes. <laughs> yeah, trim trim my eyebrows. <laughs> you know, <laughs> trim your eyebrows. You know. you know, just basic stuff that you get on tour. You know, like I don't know, you guys didn't have a butler. <laughs> but but you know what I'm saying? Like sometimes you're staying in like like in New Mexico or something like that. You know, or you're in Arizona or some fucking state where like creepy shit happens all the time. And uh, oh, you know it's night nighttime. You know you get in there, it's like 3 a.m. or whatever, and uh, it's just weird. Those places are fucking weird, man. It's like. The, or the, the motels are always weird because it's out, you fucking, you walk out the door and you're outside, you know? And I just Yeah, remember, I mean, hotels are creepy. Yeah. And I just, you know, you're in the desert, you're in some part of the country where there's nothing except for this fucking oasis that you're staying at. And then I forgot what part of the country I was in, but I remember one time I was like, you know, it, it was, you know, it was, people were starting to fall asleep. I was awake still and I wanted to go and, there was, I saw there was like a snack machine like down on the first floor. And I'm like, you know what? Let me walk down to the snack machine and get like some chips or something like that. So mm-hmm. I went down there and someone had smashed the fucking glass, like that plexiglass on the, on the snack machine and had just yeah. taken everything out of there. Didn't like, leave you any chips, man. That's fucked up. But I'm like, what the fuck, man? You know, this is like an environment that I'm in, you know? And yeah, That's, and you're staying there with some crazed animal. Exactly, dude. Or some, you know, just like marauding group of guys like driving around, dude, causing mayhem like that. And uh, so, yeah, that that's what this movie makes me think about. It's like stuff like that about getting <laughs> getting your throat slit in the middle of the night and some weird chick with a hooded sweatshirt, like, you know, killing you at some point, you know. So, yeah. In your sleep. Yeah. yeah I mean, have you, have, you ever stayed in, have you ever stayed in a hotel by yourself? Yes, for um, for my job occasionally I have to travel. I haven't traveled for them in a while, but in the in my tenure working for this company, I've I've had to go to like places like Kalamazoo, Michigan, and stuff like that, and I've stayed in a hotel alone. Yeah, that's fucking creepy, dude. Yes, <laughs> but I'll tell you why. I'm I'm a little jaded to it because um. When I was uh, when I first got out of college, I worked for this company that had me traveling a lot, and I would mm-hmm. stay places for like months at a time. Actually, living in a hotel. Oh, wow. Yeah, living in like a excuse me a motel. So I got used to being alone all the time and and living in that motel lifestyle, you know. So yeah, yeah, but it is weird and it's fucking depressing and creepy and you know you feel like yeah a piece of oh shit. man you feel like just like a fucking vagrant most of the time you know sure when i was living in new york and coming out to la to practice for uh with isis you know usually i'd come out a week before we'd leave for tour and sometimes i'd stay in a, a hotel in hollywood by myself it's kind of i wouldn't say it was totally seedy <laughs> but like it, it was definitely one of those those places where, like, uh, I think some shit's about to go down. Oh um, man, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, totally, dude. That's that. Oh, oh man, I, there's a. This is a real quick one, but it's like a hotel story that's funny. The uh, when we were recording in um, in Dallas, we were recording Path to Totality with John Congleton, uh, who I guess John worked with the Swans recently. Um, oh wow! 
we we played a bunch of dates down to down to Dallas. We were like touring whatever down there, and uh, so we we're we're in the show was in Dallas or some fucking town next to Dallas or whatever. And you know, usually we we would a lot of times wait to the last minute to book hotels. So like we had the app, we were looking to try to score like a, but for some reason the uh, we couldn't connect with anything. I don't know what the deal was. But none of none of our you know, phones were making any sense of anything. It wasn't like connecting to the right location or something. So we just um, stayed like, we just saw like, a, oh, here's a motel. You know, let's go stay there. <clears throat> so we rolled up and I got out of the van and, and uh, the guy, you couldn't go into the office. Like the dude just kind of like poked his head out this window and oh yeah, you had to pay in cash. And I was like, all right, cool. Can I get a receipt? And the guy was like, oh, yeah. He wrote me like a handwritten receipt. And I'm like, all right, great. <laughs> so we go into this fucking room, right? And there's like, it looks like, like what looked like blood on the fucking, uh, you know, the, the sheets, right? And yeah. I'm like, oh, man. We go into the, I go into the bathroom. <laughs> there's like cigarette burns on the edge of the, of the tub. And I'm like, oh my god, man! So I didn't sleep at all that night, man. I just had my jacket and hood on, and like I wrapped myself in the sleeping bag, and I just like we just slept on on top of the sheets, you know. And then, yeah. A couple of weeks later, I'm driving around with Congleton, and uh, we're going to like Whole Foods or something like that, and we just happened to drive by this this motel. And I was like, because it was, we had to take some other route or something. So, oh, I got to go to Staples or whatever. So we went, we went to like the different route back to the studio. And I'm like, oh, John, right. that's, that's that place I was telling you about. He's like, you stayed there. I'm like, yeah. All oh, that place is in the news all the time, man. There's like prostitution. <laughs> Someone got murdered there a couple of months ago. And I was like, holy shit, really, man? Wow. So. Oh, <laughs> oh man. So that uh, just imagine you could have stayed there at any one of those nights. So yeah. Yeah, in a way, I guess you got lucky; nothing happened. Yeah, totally. You know, and and like the thing was too. I mean, it was like, like we didn't. You know, I, I barely, I didn't even really go to sleep that night because I was so freaked out by the whole thing. I kept looking out the window. I'd get up and I'd piss and I'd like look out, <laughs> yeah. out to see what Vanity was going on in the parking lot, you know, and that kind of thing. And I just, you know, I ended up as soon as it got light out, I just got up. You know what I mean? I was like, all right, I'm fucking. I'm up. I'll, I'll take a nap later after we load into the studio or something, you know, because like, you know, right. that first day you're just loading in, you're just setting shit, drummers setting up, so you don't really have anything to do. Yeah, so, yeah, tedious. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's the fun uh, of, of, of that life, though. You know, at the moment it sucks, but like now you have this like crazy. You know, I stayed at a fucking filthy murder hotel. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, totally. You know, bad. so. Uh, <laughs> All right, <laughs> so uh, what's your final grade for VHS? <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, we, did, we never wrapped it up, man. Um, yeah. Well, all right, for Mungo, I, I give it a five out of five, man. I fucking love this movie. Yeah, uh, totally, five out of five for me. I, there's some things I wish were expanded on, but, uh, you know, talking through it, I'm kind of glad that, like, it leads you to connect the dots yourself a little bit. It makes it even more mysterious. So I'm right there with you. Five stars. I think this is a classic in the making. I think, you know, it came out before the streaming era. Now that it's on these platforms, people are finding this movie 
And for the most part, uh, people seem to be really enjoying it. Yeah, I, I remember watching it the first time. And I think because of all of the glut of found footage and, you know, verite style films that were out there, I, I kind of like, I liked it, but I wasn't like enamored with it. But uh, it, it ages really well. And when I watched it again, I started picking up on a lot of, a lot, a lot of other things. And I think that this movie is going to get a lot of future rewatches. So, uh, so for me, it's like, I, I really, you know, I think it's like a kind of a masterpiece, actually. Yeah, I, uh, I'm right there with you. Like, it's, it, it, it hits all the, all the right notes. It, it feels authentic. It, it's creepy. It makes you think it's not as straightforward as, as it might seem. So Necromaniac says, check it out. <laughs> I <hope>. Thumbs up. <laughs> I fucking, I, you know, like the, the Joe Bob show, like he does that shit. And I'm always like, that's fucking funny, man. I'm going to start doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great, man. Yeah. Well, all right. So that's it, man. And uh, yeah, that was, that was, that was, uh, oh, by the way, uh, VHS, some of them get five out of fives. Some of them don't. So that's what I got to say about VHS. <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah you could grade each one individually yeah oh totally yeah the one we were talking about gets a five out of five yeah all right all everyone right. so thanks for listening and uh we'll we'll uh one of us or a couple of us will talk to you next week take care later <laughs>